pray with me. Spirit of living God, fall fresh now on this gathered body of believers that you call sons and daughters. And on this preacher, pour out your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We come today, my brothers and sisters, to the sixth of the seven letters to the churches in Asia Minor. And you remember that seven is a whole number. It's symbolic of the entire church. So Jesus dictates this letter to John, not only for those in that time, but the letter is also written to the church today as well. This letter, I wish I had broken it into two parts. There's so much in it, and I don't have time to cover it all today, but we'll hit the highlights. This letter gives hope as we look at the state of the church in the world today, as we look at a church that's post-pandemic, as we look at a church that is fighting being relevant in today's world. This letter to the church at Philadelphia gives us hope for our future. No church is perfect. And I think some people are looking for the perfect church. But if you're looking for the perfect church, if you come to it and I'm in there, then you know it's not perfect at all. In fact, John MacArthur writes, the church is not a place for people with no weaknesses. It is a fellowship of those who are aware of their weaknesses and long for the strength and grace of God to fill their lives. It is a spiritual hospital for those who know they are sick and needy. The church at Philadelphia certainly understood this, and they are an example for us today of being faithful, not perfect, but being faithful despite of the weaknesses that they find themselves in. They brought glory and honor to our Lord Jesus Christ by their faith walk with him. No matter how tough the situation around them were, they kept their hand in God's hand. They remained faithful to the mission of God. And by their obedience to his mission, this is the second letter out of the seven that receives no condemnation but only commendation. You know that our historic American city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, is named for this church. It means brotherly love. The biblical city of Philadelphia is located about 28 miles southeast of Sardis. You will notice if you look at these churches on the map, you come into Ephesus and they go up and go all the way around. We have crossed the halfway point and we're on our way back down to the Aegean Sea. It was the youngest of the seven cities whose churches are addressed in these letters. Philadelphia was founded about 150 B.C. by King Attalus of Pergamon, whose nickname was Philadelphia, which means lover of his brother. This man remembered his brother. His brother was ill, and he took excellent care of his brother. He never let his brother want for anything. And his brother Eumaeus is the reason that he named this city Philadelphia, which means lover of brother. The city was destroyed by an earthquake in 17 AD along with Sardis and other cities in the locality. Most of the others recovered really quickly from the disaster, but 
the aftershocks continue at Philadelphia for quite a number of years, which the result is people had come and then they go, they came back and then they had to leave. Tiberius Caesar helped Philadelphia to recover from the earthquake and out of gratitude, the city changed its name to Neo-Caesarea, which means New Caesar. I mention this fact because Jesus later on says, I'm going to give you a new name. In all the other letters, Jesus uses symbols to describe who he is. He uses other titles to describe who he is. But to this small church at Philadelphia, he tells them plainly who he is and what he does. Who he is is the Holy One and the True One. He is the Holy One morally perfect, the one that God set aside, the one that God came in the flesh, the one that is the only God. No other cultural deities can match Jesus. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is his father's child. His character is without flaw or blemish, and he is genuine reality. He is the one true, the one behind all reality. He is the one that is true. That is who he is. There's none other beside him. He is the Holy One of God. What he does is he holds the key of David. He holds the key of David. And what that empowers him to do is open and shut doors. He is the holy of holies and what he does is open and shut doors. And that open and shut doors is a reference that's recorded in the 22nd chapter of the prophecy Isaiah. In the days of Hezekiah the king, there was a chief of staff that was in charge of the palace whose name was Shebana. He had been caught in in a personal scam that he ran for his own benefit. And as a result, God says something very unusual to him, very descriptive to him. He says, I will take him out and whirl him around like a discus store and hurl him into a far country. It was a prediction that because of his deceit, he would be sent to Babylon. He would be replaced by a godly man named Eliakim, of whom God said, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. There's a quote. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one will open. So Jesus, dictating this letter to John, refers back to that passage in Isaiah and now applies it to himself. I am the one who shuts and no one can open. I am the one who opens and no one can shut. His will cannot be opposed by any other deity and no human power. He governs the events of all human history. He will open some doors and he will close some doors. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. No human power can contravene what he determines. Now he tells the church, beginning in verse 8, how will he use this power, the ability to open and shut? I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength. 
Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. To a church like the church at Philadelphia, the Lord says he will open doors of ministry and service that no one can shut them. Calvary, you certainly have experienced the open doors that God had opened for you. God has opened doors for Calvary in the last two, maybe three decades that are unmatched by any other church in the Bloomington normal area. The open door that God has for you, God opened the doors of ministry of Calvary for to do ministry to Bloomington normal. But there's another meaning of the word door in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the door can also mean the interest into God's kingdom, God's kingdom, God's new way of living, God's new order for the people of God. Jesus says in John 10, 9, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So Jesus, the doorway into the kingdom of God, the new way of living, in Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and comes and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. He and they will be with me. The door symbolizes the need for us to make a decision, a decision to make Jesus number one in our lives, the decision to make Jesus the one that we live by, the decision to make sure that if we want to be in the kingdom of God, that we live by the rubric that God and Jesus Christ has set forth for all of us. It is the entryway into Christ or it is the barrier which keep people out. Some people don't want to enter into God's new way of living. Quite frankly, it is one of the hardest things I ever done in my entire life. To love those who are unlovable, to love those who hate you, to close those who don't deserve to be closed, to visit those in prison who really don't need to be visited because they're so horrible. The door of living a Christian life is not an easy one, but the decision we make is to follow Christ into his kingdom. It's a diff difficult door to enter into, but it's a door that's necessary for eternal life. Here's the point. This little church had no power they suffered, and Jesus saved them with his power. In other words, it doesn't matter what the outward circumstances show around us. They are inheritors of the kingdom of God because Jesus opened that door for them, and no human being, no other deity can shut it. No greater power can shut them out. No amount of opposition can suffer them away. Jesus holds the key. Jesus opened that door for them, and he opens that door for us. And my brothers and sisters, no one has the right to expel you from God's kingdom because no one opened the door for you. It was Jesus himself who opened the door and invited each one of us in individually and the church corporately. God opens the door to come into new life in Christ. They're on the way now to eternal life with Jesus and his Father. Go ahead, world. Do what you will. You can't take us away from what Jesus has already given to us. We must understand that it's God's power that determines our future, not human power. 
Brothers and sisters, if I had the ability to say who's in God's kingdom, who's going to go to heaven, who's not, who is perfect, who's not, listen, if I had that kind of power, you, you couldn't even afford it because I would charge you. I'm telling you, you'd have to come to church every single Sunday with an offering of gold and probably 10,000 hogs so I could have barbecue every day of the week. But God did not give me that kind of power. God gave me the ability to speak the truth of Jesus Christ to you, and then you have a decision to make. No human being can usher you into the kingdom. You have to accept what God has done for you for yourself and freely walk through that door. And if God opens the door and lets you in, who am I to try to put you out? Our salvation and commendation from him is not based on great things that we do, but it's based on what Christ has already done. All he asks us to do is humbly stay on mission to the world. Tell the world about a Savior who loves and cares for them. Tell the world about a way of living that God opened for us in Jesus Christ. Tell the world how God has saved you from yourself. Tell the world that when you was at your lowest point, God picked you up and held you. Even when you had tears in your eyes, God never left you alone. Philadelphia's faith caused them to rise above their own strength and tap into the strength of God. That's what we need. We need to tap into the spiritual power of the Holy Spirit of God. It is too tough to be a Christian these days. It's easy for our faith to be robbed from us. I don't know about you, but every day it seems I have to make a new decision that I'm going to live God's way. And oh, my brothers and sisters, the worst thing that comes into your life is watching other people suffer from sicknesses as you visit them. And when illness and sickness comes into your life, you wonder, where is God at these times? Oh, I know the Bible says he's coming soon, but where is he now? Those are the times in our realistic life that our faith is threatening to be torn away from us. But we have to remember, Jesus holds us firm when everything else feels as if it's falling apart. All we need to do is look at his still strong hand. We are to know him and know that he's present with us at all times. And he seeks to make us brothers and sisters and conform us into his image to be people whom the love of God it oozes out of us. Those are the qualities, my friend that it takes to enter into the door, which the Lord gives to a church and to individuals. Second, and I'm rushing on. The Lord says in verse 9, I will make those who are of a synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved them. Hmm to the church that responds and ready to be used. The Lord will use his power to open and shut, to make enemies respect and openly acknowledge that he is Lord. He calls the church, Israel, the one-time nation of God, God's holy people. 
He calls them pretenders, and they are of the synagogue of Satan. Here the word Satan means liar. They want to be the church so bad, but they won't follow the new things that God is doing. They could not accept that God was doing a new thing in Jesus Christ, that God has now ordained for everybody in the world who wants to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, can now enter into the door of God's kingdom and be sisters and brothers forever, even into eternal life. But the church, the big brother, the one who held the law of Moses, the one who knew the scripture better than any New Testament church, could not accept that God wanted everybody in the church. They couldn't accept it, that Gentiles would be a part of their holy ministry. They couldn't accept that God wanted these people. The word Gentile means dogs. He wanted these dogs to be a part of a holy nation. They couldn't get there at all. So Jesus says about them, they claim to be, but they are not. They are a synagogue of Satan. They are being used by Satan. They are being used by the deceiver, the one that lies and takes people away. They're being used by Satan. They are not from Abraham. They claim to be from Abraham. Oh, they may have Abraham's blood running through their veins. But that's not what it takes to be God's people anymore. They might be Abraham's ancestors, but what's important about Abraham is this, was his faith. They don't have Abraham's faith. And they're doing everything they can to undermine the faith of God, what God is doing in these churches like Philadelphia. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, what he really says since you have patiently endured, you will be able to see that your enemies come and be your footstool. How do they do it? Do they shout them down? Do they run to them and say, you are a synagogue of Satan, you ain't right? I believe the reason that their enemies become their footstools is because this church at Philadelphia loved them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Instead of responding hate for hate and life for lie, they opened their hearts and, and let them come in as sisters and brothers of God. They did for the Jewish synagogue what they, the Jewish synagogue, could not do for the new Christians. They openly embraced them with a love that could only come from Jesus Christ our Lord. They overwhelmed them with kindness and goodness because they knew the kindness and goodness of God. There's nobody like a Gentile lived a life where they were considered dogs and aliens of any dignified human beings. Nobody like a Gentile could understand what God done for them and is doing for them. They understood how God picked them up and love them when they were considered unlovable. How dare anybody not love everybody since God loved me where I was. God didn't pick and choose me. If God had picked and choose me, I would never be saved. I was not worthy. You and I don't have to be worthy 
Christ was worthy because Christ did what no human being could do, took our sins, nailed it to a cross, brought us back into relationship for God, untoned us to be God's children forever. And now we have a mission, an obligation to spread that word to all. And Jesus said, if you do, people will be delivered out of the time of trial. They will be in trial, but their minds will be stayed on God. No amount of testing will be able to take them away. I believe, my brothers and sisters, in a society that we live in, a capitalistic society, where whoever has the most stuff wins, this is especially dangerous for us. God says a time is going to come when you're going to have to decide between the things of this world and the things of God. You're going to have to decide which do you love more, me or stuff. And when that time of testing comes, if you remain faithful to me, I will deliver you out of that. And I will bring you a new city, the new Jerusalem that will come down from heaven. And if you read the end of the book, you'll see that heaven is going to come to earth. And we will be right back where we started from in the garden. We started with a tree and God given a command to Adam not to eat of that tree. And when he did, we had to leave the garden. But Jesus says, if you remain faithful, I'm going to give you a new name, the new Jerusalem that will come down from heaven. The end of the book, Revelations, we see that indeed heaven does come to earth. And in the middle of the city is a tree that's planted on each side of a river. That same tree that was in the Garden of Eden will be there when God's kingdom is finally fulfilled. Jesus began the kingdom, but it's not yet. Jesus started a movement that is to represent and look like the new kingdom of God, but it's not yet fulfilled. When it's fulfilled, heaven will come to earth and God will be our king forever. We will worship God because we will see the throne. Wherever we are, we will be looking at God's face. And then this warning. He who has ears, let them hear. Let them hear what the wind word, the wind word of God is saying. Look past all the stuff that's trying to take you away from God. Look past all the distractions of life that's trying to make your faith disappear. Look past all the things that's trying to take you and make it God. Hear what God is saying. Stay with me. Stay on point. Stay in mission. Make me number one in your life. Are you hearing? Are you hearing what the Spirit is saying to the church at normal Calvary? Amen. Spirit of living God, thank you so much for all that you do for us, your people. Thank you that when we are weak, you're at your best. 
when we know that all the strength we need is you, you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly, far more than we could ever ask or even think about. God, we thank you that God in Jesus Christ, you took the time day after day, even now, to enter our lives through your Holy Spirit and continue to ask us to hold on to that nugget of faith. And at the end, we will get to spend eternity with you. Oh, and along the way, we'll be able to bring some brothers and sisters with us into your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.